Hello, and welcome to the Fringe Collective Podcast. My name is Michael J. Johnson. I'm your host. If you're new to our podcast, we are a podcast for and by working musicians and music artists. If you're on Facebook, please like our page at facebook.com slash fringe collective. And of course, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast client. And you can leave a comment for us at iTunes as well. We'll have a lot more interviews down the road, and hopefully I can increase the frequencies of these rather than once a month. But I'm finding even though I know a lot of people, it's a little bit difficult to get the logistics together, especially when you're working with very busy working musicians. But it's the day before Halloween in 2017, and I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. My guest for this episode is the amazing and talented Courtney Swain lead singer for Bent Knee, and also a solo artist who's about to release an EP, and I'll give you that info in a second. I have known Courtney since she was a freshman at Berklee College of Music, and she was in my Intro to Music Technology class, and we actually talk about that a little bit in the episode. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Berklee, we do talk about a couple inside Berklee things. We mentioned the CWP department, which is the department I work in and which is uh, where she got her degree. Uh, That stands for Contemporary Writing and Production, so just so you know. And we explain a little bit more about it, and she actually has a great explanation of it. So if you haven't heard Bent Knee yet, you really need to do yourself a favor and listen to them. It's spelled B-E-N-T-K-N-E-E. I would call them eclectic but accessible art rock. They have some avant-garde and progressive rock elements, but even if you don't enjoy that kind of music, I think you would still like them. I've been obsessed with their latest album, Land Animal. You can find it, of course, on all the music streaming services. You might want to check out their website, www.bentneemusic. And they seem to be continually touring all over the country, so be sure to catch them live, because you'll be amazed that they can reproduce some of the stuff they do on their recordings. They're definitely one of my favorite bands right now. Courtney has an EP coming out on November 10th. The EP is called Growing Pains, and you can find it at CourtneySwain.Bandcamp.com. Now, her name is spelled C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-S-W-A-I-N. I will also include a link in the show notes. I'll drop a few clips from the EP into the episode, starting with her first single, which is already out, called Glitter Bomb. And following that, this is my interview with Courtney Swain. I'll be content just to know that it could be so hard, that it could be I'm here with Courtney Swain, lead singer for Bent Knee, and also a solo artist. Hello. I think you have a very interesting background. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Japan, uh, southern part, close to Korea. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I grew up speaking both Japanese and English, um, 
and I was kind of traveling over to the U.S. every summer to go to summer camp and stuff. But um, my older brother went to college in the U.S., so uh, after finishing high school in Japan, it was kind of like this unspoken thing that I was going to go to the U.S. for college. I've been studying piano, classical piano, since I was I was really small. I, I can't remember a time where I didn't play the piano, basically. Um, and uh, I wanted to pursue music, which came as kind of a surprise to a lot of people in my family because it was just more of a hobby. And I also wanted to go to college for singing instead of piano, <laughs> much to my uh, parents' chagrin who had, you know, they'd spend so much money on all these like piano lessons. I was like, oh, I want to go to sing. So but, yeah, <laughs> anyway, that landed me uh, at Berkeley. Yeah. So, okay. So you went as a voice principal. Yeah. So did you study private voice too before you came to Berkeley? Uh, not really. Um, yeah, I, I was, I remember in my audition, I self-accompanied myself. Um, and I think that's the only reason I got in. Um, I remember finishing my piece and I think it was uh, Bob Stoloff was there with other two people and they were just like, I'm sorry, what are you auditioning for? <laughs> I was like, voice, voice. And they were like, oh, you know, <laughs> they were sort of a little bit confused about that. Yeah. Yeah. I know you play a few other instruments, right? Did you study any other? Uh, not, well, I played clarinet for just like a hot minute uh, in middle school yeah. <laughs> as a part of school band. And uh, I I studied violin for for a couple years when I was, uh, when I was young, but... Uh, both my violin teacher and my piano teacher are really rigorous, and uh, at some point, my my parents sort of decided for me that uh, piano was kind of like the better um, direction. Mm-hmm. And I kind of regret that sometimes. I wish I still viol- still played violin. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I squeak along uh, when I'm doing like my solo records, and I just yeah. I just wanna wanna sound. <laughs> it's embarrassing to claim that I do, but <laughs> I know how the <laughs> instrument works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the most important thing, you yeah. know. Um, especially for what you do. Yeah, it helps. Uh, I've been doing a lot of string writing recently for mm-hmm. my solo stuff, um, and it, I, it really helps to sort of have an idea of kind of what's what's crazy and what's doable and, you know, what sounds a certain way uh, in the instrument. And I think I have a, 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 a tiny leg up because I spent some time playing and I kind of know where, where the sounds make sense. Yeah. 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 So um, how did you choose Berkeley, first of all? Uh, it was a, a really um, haphazard decision, actually. Um, my dad wanted me to go to a liberal arts college. Um, and I was interested in, you know, like topics like psychology and archaeology. Uh, but I was just having a really good time singing. Uh, I, I was in like a couple bands when I was in high school. And um, I really wanted to go to school in Boston because I used to go to a summer camp uh, that was held on the Amherst College campus. And so, you know, uh, on the weekend, sometimes they would drive us into Boston and we go to Quincy Market. And I just thought it was such a such a cool place. So I applied to a couple of schools in Boston. Um, the, Berkeley was the only music school I applied to. And I applied after the deadline. I was actually late, um, which was really funny. But I just emailed the the people. I think the the to- the audition was in Tokyo, which is about a two hour 
flight from my hometown. Mm. And I think it was just like maybe two or three weeks out. And I, I emailed like, you know, the admin of uh, the application people. I was like, hey, you know, can you sneak me in? And they're like, sure. And the reason I knew about Berkeley was because my mom uh, really like this pianist uh, called Toshiko Akiyoshi. Uh, she's a really famous jazz pianist in Japan. And she attended Berkeley um, like really early on. Mm. Um, I think in the late 40s or the early 50s. Um, and so my mom was like, you should try Berkeley. And I was like, okay, you know, I didn't really know much about the school. It was just kind of like, I just wanted to do music. And it was kind of the, the one option that I had to apply because, you know, my, my track was more set towards, you know, liberal arts and music as sort of a hobby as opposed to music as a profession. Yeah. Uh, and that reminded me though, I forgot to ask, is anyone else in your family music? No, no, not at all. Uh, my, I had a great grandpa who played piano, but that's about it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I was just, uh, I guess I was surprised when you said you studied mostly classical and that you had 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 uh, decided on Berkeley. Did you study any jazz when you were younger? No. Okay. No, my my parents didn't really like jazz, so they didn't listen to jazz at all. Okay. <laughs> I know it doesn't make sense. It's, I have just, a really, it's so surprising that yeah, you ended I have up in a, Berkeley. I have a really great story about that, though. Yeah. Um, uh, my, we didn't really, like, music was kind of like a side thing in our house. Um, so we didn't really buy a lot of new CDs. You know, we just had, like, the same old, you know, like, 40, 50 CDs that we just cycled through. And half of them were classical and half of them were classic rock. And my mom uh, is a modern dancer, a contemporary dancer and also a dance teacher. Mm. Uh, so she had some, you know, kind of wacky, uh, I don't want to say wacky, but, you know, sort of more like ambient or out there, like electronic music. And she had like discs that she liked to teach her classes to. And one of them was uh, uh, Miles Davis album but of all the miles davis album albums it was this album called doo-wop doo-bop oh yeah yeah you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah and so i grew up listening to doo-bop and i thought that was miles davis yeah so when i got to berkeley people were talking about this miles davis guy and i was just like oh yeah the guy that like does like you know sort of vibey like rap yeah. rap yeah and people were like what? what? Who are you talking about? <laughs> and then I went and listened to Kind of Blue, and I was really blown away. I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I had this so wrong. And I don't know if you've listened to that album really recently. I highly uh -huh. recommend it uh, just because it's hilarious. It's just it's just uh, all the rap is just basically like hype tracks for Miles. You know, it's like Miles is great. You know, like all the all the hooks are uh, like literally his name. But anyways, that's my funny uh, non-jazz story. <laughs> But yeah, so what else did you listen to? What got you really interested in in music, listening wise? Um, I really liked uh, the the albums that were heavily circulated were just Fresh Cream, uh, Led Zeppelin's Best Hits, um, and uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, um, and uh, there was some Bob Dylan. But I mean, that was really it. There wasn't there wasn't a lot. Oh, there's a lot of Beatles. Mm -hmm. I listened to Abbey Road. Um, a lot, uh, but that was really it. Um, and then there are class classical sort of albums, a lot of, a lot of like, not contemporary, really, really, you know, romantic, and also a lot of Baroque, um, a lot of Bach, um, a lot of Mozart, uh, a lot of Haydn. And then um, my dad was into 
um, he's like a really beautiful uh, Portuguese singers who I think it's a what's the you know what I'm talking about? There's that singing that goes along like, with the flamenco. The boss, you mean the bossa nova one? No, 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 no. Like the more kind of like the guttural sort of um, like the sad. Um, oh, okay. And I know flamenco is in, in Spain, but like there, there's this really interesting, I forget what the, the name of the style is, but um, these Portuguese singers that I was listening to. Huh. And that left a big impression on me, but that that was really it. What, what really got me into um, music was um, Linkin Park, actually. Um, and uh, I, my brother had uh, like a copy of Hybrid Theory, and when Meteora came out, I, I bought it. And in Japan, they they have like a lot of special packagings, um, like limited editions and stuff. So the Japanese version uh, was kind of like the deluxe one that came with uh, the DVD of the making of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess because so many people thought or or criticized that them for they thought that Linkin Park didn't write the actual music on hybrid theory oh really something like that that's what i got from the dvd but so when they were making everything they just decided to document the process and be like look here is us literally writing and recording this album and it was just so cool uh because you know if you're not in music you don't know that you know tracking drums takes like 20 mics you know (laughs) or like that everyone's not playing together maybe or you know just and I just was really um mesmerized and and really interested in what it was like to to be recording music and how much they cared about um what they were going to be putting out really enduring um you know they're they talk a lot about in the dvd they talk a lot about how they wanted to be something that you can come back and listen to, you know, in years and in decades, and it would still hold meaning. And mm-hmm. I and I really think that album is a great, great piece of art, and it it really moved me, and it kind of uh, was what convinced me, or yeah, why I was interested in making music and recording music. Yeah. Now, are you talking about Meteora or or Hybrid Theory? Meteora. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I think Hybrid Theory is great too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, that explains why you gravitated towards like CWP. Is that yeah. kind of why? Like you were because you 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 were interested in the in the tech. Yeah, part of it. you know that was actually fueled by this experience where when I got to Berkeley, it was like, how quickly can I get into the recording studios? You know, I feel like that was a thing for a lot of students. Yeah, like how quickly can you make a, a connection with upperclassmen? to just get into those studios and, you know, figure out what it's like, you know? I mean, that's, like, the really famous part about Berkeley, you know, mm-hmm. the, like, the the these amazing studios. And I had an opportunity to go and record, and I was sitting in the control room. I don't even remember what session it was. Um, I wasn't on it. I was just kind of watching. Uh, and <laughs> I remember the engineers were making... were sort of making fun of the performers, in the live room it was like some they were doing something wrong or something you know mm-hmm. and they were just sort of like being like oh you know they have no idea i think i'm sure it was a joke i think it's like the type of thing where um you know how when you're when you when they say you're turning a knob you sort of zero into it so even if the the level's not actually moving you'll hear it louder louder mm-hmm. there's something like that where yeah, it's yeah. like you know oh even if you don't move it you know if you tell them you're turning it it was something like that and i just was like 
wow, I do not want that to be me. You know, yeah. like I don't want to be in the live room not knowing what's going on. I want to be able to talk to these people and understand what's happening to my music, not just on the writing side, but on the recording and the production side. And that's why I decided to do CWP because it just seemed like um, it was a good balance of, of writing and also kind of gives you, you know, a good idea of the production side without it being like the complete focus like it is for MP&E. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess I should say for any listeners who are unfamiliar, uh, CWP stands for Contemporary Writing and Production. <laughs> and uh, it's it's kind of a hybrid degree of some uh, music technology, recording, that type of thing, and some writing and arranging. Yeah, I, I actually explain it to a lot of people. It was just like the commercial writing department. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the commercial writing and laptop production department. Because I hate when people ask me what I studied, and I'm like, I study contemporary writing and production. And people are like, what, what does that mean? Does that mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, like a, it's just they teach you how to write for commercial you know, like purposes, basically. Yeah. yeah. Your interest in that, though, also was apparent to me right away because you were in my intro to music yes, technology first class. semester first semester <laughs> i freshman. was just yeah. so eager and i'm so gl- grateful i had that class because you gave us such a great uh intro into reason Propellerhead. Mm-hmm. um and i feel like correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like that was one of the last couple years where reason was still a thing no, actually, uh, we still use Reason in that class. Really? Yeah. So, I just think it's an amazing software. Yeah. It, we switched, after that year, we switched from using Logic to using Pro Tools. Gotcha. But gotcha. Okay, that makes everything sense. Everything else stayed the same. Yeah, I just, um, you gave us a really great overview into what Reason is, and I, I use it a lot still to this day. Oh, okay, um, awesome. I just think that the sounds are really great, and... Um, you know, the, the interface, if you're really great with production, the interface is stupid, you know, yeah. <laughs> but the for for like someone who just understands it, but needs sort of visual visual assistance, it's like it's really great. And their their presets are really stellar, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote my first two solo albums. Um, using Reason completely. I even did the audio in Reason and everything. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think I still use a lot of Reason uh, for just sounds and kind of ideas even. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Now, when uh, mm-hmm. when you were in CWP, um, were we still using Digital Performer? Oh, yeah. So do you still use that at all? No. No. But okay. I think the Digital Performer is great. I yeah. think it's a great program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just it's just a little clunky. What what version is it on? Are you still Well, I don't know. We switched to Logic. You switched? Oh. Yeah, so now we do Logic and Pro Tools. Oh, poor, poor digital performer. <laughs> I still remember I had Film like scoring the, still uses it. Oh, really? Okay, that's good. Yeah, I had the uh, Motu, like the the black like box, you know, the clunky interface yeah. uh, too. I, yeah, I like the Dead DV a lot. There's a lot of cool uh, um, things you could do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still use Pro Tools at all? I actually use Live, uh, Ableton Live. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I I don't necessarily use it the traditional way with you know using the cells and stuff. Um, I can't remember. Oh yeah, I I I just like it's just what I've grown used to at this point. Um, and I like I, I guess you know all 
DAWs are the same. They they offer the same thing. It's just packaged a different way. And mm-hmm. I just like how how it works in live. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would say though. I mean, live does some stuff that no other DAW does. You know. I mean, yeah. just the fact that you could actually use it in a live situation. Right. The way it is, right. You know. Yeah, Vince runs so. live for um for all like the vocal effects stuff for Bent Knee because it's just so stable. We used to use main stage, but. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, it would kind of crap out, and then it would just be a you know, hot nightmare. So um, I think that's part of why I wanted to use it. Uh, when I perform live, I do uh, use live to um, do some ambient stuff for my voice, um, just because, I don't know, it sounds better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a part of it, too. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really useful. And so I was... I was using live and had uh, I, I don't you can see it over there in that box there's there's like a, a generic MIDI oh, yeah. interface and I was using mm-hmm. the the interface itself to trigger samples and stuff yeah. like that you know, I just, I just so many love how it works do. yeah I just got um, the launch pad mm-hmm. uh, you know the grid with the squares and yeah. it's it's really cool I I had uh, the launch control which has like one line of squares and then knobs for for sort of tweaking mm-hmm. and then I realized I needed a little more and I got that and I've just been like really impressed with the presets and I I, I like it just seems like out of the box thinking that just you know it's yeah. like lends really easily to creativity yeah yeah you're at Berkeley um, how does bent knee come together um we all largely met in the calf cafeteria like i don't know if it's still a case in berkeley right now but i just i remember going to the new cafeteria recently and just being really startled at how nice and beautiful it was because when we were at berkeley you know it was was the former swimming pool underground and there's no self-service there so you're sort of kind of forced to you know yeah no windows just kind of dank uh and you're just sort of forced that you weren't forced to but it was just like all about just networking basically yeah um and uh we we were all connected through Ben Ben Levin, the guitarist in Bentney. Um, he's a force of nature, and he was a year ahead of me. So, the first person I met when I just parked in front of Berkeley and started playing my stuff out of my dad's car was um, the drummer, the the old drummer for Ben Levin Group. Mm. Um, and so he was like, "Yeah, you should, you know, this this." this guy, my friend, we were playing, you know, at Bill's Bar, <laughs> uh, which is a deep cut for, <laughs> it's not, I, I guess it's still there. It just does, it does different music now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I remember going there and just being floored. And uh, Ben wanted to, <clears throat> a couple months later, Ben wanted to experiment with sort of creating like a improvised vocal choir. Up until then, most of his music was completely instrumental. Um, and so we had, we booked time at the re- at, in a rehearsal room, and my roommate and I and another singer were sort of working with Ben, um, and I just sort of felt like we had a connection. It was just kind of, uh, I could understand what he wanted to do, um, and I thought I could do that sort of better than the other people there, and so I wrote him a Facebook message, and I was like, hey, you know, if you ever want to collaborate, I would, I would love to. I think this could be something really great, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Ben was like a, a, an animal of 
productivity. He still is, <laughs> even back then at Berkeley. And he was like, sure. And he just sent me this track. He was like, okay, I wrote a track, you know, like try singing over it. And that ended up being the first song, which was called Urban Circus. And then um, <clears throat> we had an original drummer and a bass player, but within a year and a half or so, we we had sort of cycled through all, you know, like the various band members and the lineup was sort of set by, because um, <clears throat> we started writing in like 2009. And by the beginning of 2011, when we tracked our, um, our first album, it was uh, largely... Um, our current members. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was all, all people through Ben. And we have this running joke that a lot of the the, the first conversations for Bentney happened on Facebook Messenger. Yeah. <laughs> when we, our drummer uh, was had to leave because it, he was just kind of overwhelmed with all the, the... He wanted to do more conducting and, you know, different part in, parts of, like, the curriculum in the college. And so we were looking for a drummer to track. And so... Uh, ben emailed Gavin, or sorry, Ben Facebook messaged Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Gavin joined the band a week before we tracked our first album. And uh, he liked oh, to wow. talk about how when, when we were in the studio, he was still looking at charts. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really funny because we don't seem like a very chart-focused yeah, band, right. you know? But yeah, that was, that was back then. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, Gavin, I, I love Gavin. He's a ham. <laughs> He's, yeah. I, I love him too. He's a... <laughs> He's my boy. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, so that first record was the the one with the the brown paper. Yeah. Cover on it. Yeah. yeah originally, yeah. now now we just do a digipack. It's just a more more standard thing. But we wanted to do something really special. Um, I think already around that time, I noticed that uh, CDs and just demos were just becoming like plastic thrown around. You know, I just. I just had a stack of CDs from, you know, people I cared about and people that, you know, just randomly handed me stuff. And it just didn't seem to hold any value, you know? Everything was coming in the same jewel cases or the same, you know, wallets. And I wanted the physical manifestation of the album to hold some sort of meaning or, you know, be connected to the artistic vision of the album itself. So... Um, I, I carved the block print, um, that we, you know, we sort of hand printed onto all the covers and, you know, then, uh, I mean, there's so much stuff involved. We, we printed the lyrics on vellum paper, which is sort of translucent. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we folded it. And one of the songs was just about this kind of, you know, fictional, like deranged person. So that one we crumpled up and then uncrumpled and folded. And then, uh, you know, to top it all off, we had like a wax seal, a red wax seal on the yeah. back of it. And oh my God, it took so long to make a thousand of yeah. them. It was a nightmare. Uh, I still have a couple copies in archive and I'm just uh, hoping that in like the 10th anniversary or something, you know, whatever, just like put them out as like limited editions. But I think even back then we really believed in the band. Um, and so when we were doing that, I was just kind of, I wanted it to be like an early investment for people, you know, it's just like, because all the people who bought the album were basically our friends and the people mm -hmm. who were closest to us and who knew who we were. And yeah. so I just wanted them to have it so that, you know, in the future, we're like, oh, it'll be nice if, you know, one day it holds value on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So in that one, did you, uh, um, I should know this, but I don't. Did you record that? Did you rent out a studio for that or did you just do it? We did. We okay. did. Yeah. Um, we tracked at um, this place called Mercenary Audio, um, which was actually a, 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 a gear dealer rather than uh, a real recording studio. Mm. But they used to be in Foxborough. We also tracked um, Ben's album, I think Freak Machine. We tracked, no, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Pulse of a Nation. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm forgetting which one it was. Um, that's a Ben Levin group album. We mm. tracked one of them there too. But they basically had a studio, a, a control room, so that they could do gear shootouts. Um, and they would just, you know, so we were in an office space, yeah. uh, which was like our warehouse, and they just rented out for really cheap on the weekends because they have the gear. Uh, and, you know, so we got the, this was a really cool place. Um, but they unfortunately changed ownership. Um, so that was the only album that we did there. Mm. Okay. Yeah. What is the writing process for the band? What was it then, and has it kind of stayed the same, or has, the, has it changed? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So, um, when we when we wrote Bent Knee, it was basically a file trading uh, project between Ben and I. Um, mm-hmm. So Ben would write the tracks, and then I would write the vocals over them. Okay. And I think that was the case for most of the songs. I don't think I really wrote the tracks for anything. There, um, I had a lot of poetry and sort of lyrics stacked up in you know, various journals. And so when we were working on that first album, um, there, I would be like, you know, okay, I want to take this set of you know, words and turn it into a song. And I would tell Ben about what, that background for it was and sort of give him an idea of what I wanted to sound like. And then he would come back at me. Um, it's a, it's kind of funny, but, um, there's eight tracks on the album and the third one is called funeral. And it's about this kind of, uh, fear that I had of my, my parents dying, you know, not that I don't have it now, but I just was, was, it was like a really kind of, uh, anxiety thing that I had around that time. It would kind of keep me up at night. Um, and so I sent uh, Ben the lyrics, and he sent me back the backing track for I Don't Love You Anymore, which is the second track, which is really aggressive. Um, and so that was that was a, a really funny example of, of one time where we sort of, it didn't work, yeah, and we ended up didn't quite line up. Yeah, yeah, we ended up making a different song because I had a, a you know more aggressive set of lyrics that I ended up putting onto the second track. But when you when you go back and listen to it, uh, it's funny uh, how you know how tender the third track is, and you know <laughs> imagining trying to fit that over the second track musically yeah. <laughs> is is kind of funny. But yeah, so that's how we used to write. Um, now we write collaboratively with all all six of us. Um, and usually someone will bring in a seed of a song. Uh, it's usually Ben uh, or Jessica, Jessica Kayan, our bass player, or myself will bring in kind of a, a, a piece of a song at, you know, different degrees of completeness. Um, it could be just a verse or chorus or, you know, just chords or something that's more fleshed out with drums. And then we'll tear it apart. Everyone will sort of kind of pick apart 
what it is and you know make it their own and we'll bring it back together and it's a really arduous process um because we write by consensus so you know if if someone doesn't like it it's not done um but over the years we've gotten a lot better about um trying all the ideas uh because that's a really important part of the writing you know all ideas have to be tried there's no such thing as a, as a stupid idea and it's easy to say but it's it's hard when you know you're trying to finish something and you feel very strongly about an idea but someone else has a different idea and you have to play it that way you know and give it kind of a you know good try and um and we've also gotten better about uh playing songs out even if we don't think they're completely finished um because there's something about once we started playing it live it was sort of certain things will work better than you thought and certain things won't um and then we'll we'll readjust with that in mind so, mm -hmm. yeah because especially with this new record I, I mean i'm just i'm listening to some of those songs and i'm thinking oh man i mean how how did that come together mm. i mean it's just some of these songs are like tiny symphonies you know yeah that's and true. and you've got like so many things going on, but it's all very cohesive. Yeah. You know, and when you get something like that, I mean, it's almost like a, you know, a multi-movement piece yeah. in some ways. Yeah. And so when you get something like that, is it everyone kind of bringing in little pieces and, and you kind of see if they'll work together or? Yeah, with uh, the, the first two songs are pretty different. The The first song was the first, uh, the first song, Terror Bird, was the first time that we finished a song in the studio. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so so that was an interesting experience because we had kind of a verse and a chorus, and then we had a studio session the next day. So we went in and we had extra time, and we're like, okay, let's let's track this demo. You know, we have what like an hour or two to finish this song. How are we gonna do it? And mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's really fun to play live. It's not as convoluted as some of our other songs because. We were in the studio and we were like, oh, okay, you know, well, what if we try to lay a pattern of 17 over, you know, <laughs> a bar of four, you know? And so, like, every time we play it through, it will, like, displace by a, a 16th note. And then we were sort of like, okay, this is just ruining the song. You know, this is just all about, like, just, like, <laughs> the straightforwardness and just, like, like the really... It's a it's a great like a rock song basically. It's an exciting mm -hmm. rock song to play. And yeah, so that was a lot you know, really a lot by by um everybody putting our heads together and whole the second song was a, a little more teeth pulling. Um Ben brought in uh, almost complete idea for that for the whole song and it's it was just really difficult to execute. Mm. Um the the drum the the kick drum and the bass are playing a quintuplet, uh, which is, you know, first of all, it's you don't play quintuplets a lot. So yeah. <laughs> it's just hard to play. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, uh, we spent a lot of time when we were writing and arranging sort of trying to carve out space for everybody because there's six of us. Yeah. And because we're such a, a live band, that it's really important that no matter how good or bad the sound is, you know, no, even if we're playing in a basement with where we're running our own four channel mixer versus when we're playing in a big space with any, you know, 32 channel mixer, um, we want to be able to sound good just 
because of our own arranging process. Yeah. So um, we're carving out space for everybody. And that was a little bit difficult with whole because the pattern is so dense. And then the way, you know, the amount that it, it had to come forward or not sort of dictated, you know, were the vocals coming through or not and stuff like that. Just a lot of quote unquote arguing slash discussion. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I want to back up just a little bit to how you got your label deal and stuff. Sure. Um, let's see. We've been going at it pretty hard for the last couple of years. And this current label deal came to us through a manager that we were working with. We unfortunately aren't working with him anymore. Um, but he kind of made the connections for us. Yeah, it was it was a really long process. It's a it's a two option deal. And, um, and we're signed to Inside Out Music, but they're an affiliate or they're they're under the umbrella of Sony Music. Hmm. So because it's such a big label, um, we were working with a lawyer who's excellent, but it was funny because when we were meeting the label head uh, and uh, we mentioned the lawyer's name, he's just sort of kind of rolled his eyes a little because uh, he's, a, he's a really big lawyer. In the negotiation, he was, it was really interesting. You know, I couldn't even like read the full contract because it was so dense i really had to like force myself to look through it and you know these people are just so good at it that you know there's just all these like notes and marks and you know Mm -hmm. he was very good at explaining what different things meant um in different ways but it's just so expensive you know it's interesting because we're at a point in the band where we're making uh, a lot more money than we used to, but our expenses are also really high, you know, whether it be for PR or for legal or, you know, just like all these things. So it's an it's a interesting, interesting conundrum. So that's how that deal came through, just through kind of uh, one of our connections. And yeah, it took a long time to sort of finalize the deal um, because we were kind of taking time to make sure that it was something that, you know, we were all happy with. Is it a 360? No, it's not a 360. It's actually a licensing deal, um, which is great uh, because before we signed, a lot of people were just telling us, you know, don't give away your music, you know, just don't give away the music, don't give away the publishing. And that just seemed like a really important thing. And that was kind of the biggest priority for us as a band. That's something that's always kind of been like a a big carved in stone kind of concept for the band. So yeah, we were we were really lucky that um, they were willing to offer that to us because mm-hmm. you know it wasn't something that uh, was a given. Um, yeah. And yeah, but it's a licensing deal, um, and we've retained the publishing for all the music too. So it's it's great. Yeah, that yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's surprising in this day and age. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know I've heard of of a lot of bigger musicians negotiating back their publishing and stuff these days. And I think more musicians are vocal about that. And and I think it is becoming more prevalent also because of the nature of labels have changed too. So are you guys at the point where it's a self-sustaining thing or are you still having to work on the side? Uh, we're definitely working on the side. The band itself is sustaining itself for the large part, mm-hmm. um, there are a couple um, people, either band members or family, that have like put in a little more just 
for some of like the big things that we've been working on uh, in the last couple of years. But band itself sort of, you know, like cycles. Um, but there's no really any payout from the band that we're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, everybody's just working on the side. It's It's pretty tough because, you know, we can't really have any sort of long commitment type of position because yeah we have to be ready to go on you know a really on a moment's notice and I'm kind of learning that a lot of like opening slots or supporting slots come in like fairly last minute yeah it's kind of like this thing that is kind of dogging us because it it sucks to it sucks to not have money you know (laughs) um and uh, I know there are bands that do it differently, that do have money and stuff. And I also don't like it to become like a focal point of the band. Like I, I try, it's like, it's hard not to talk about it because it's like, you know, uh, it's just it's just kind of like part of your living. But at the same time, um, yeah, the, we were uh, laughing because uh, I was, uh, Vince was telling me that Grizzly Bear had an article with, that they did with a big magazine where... Um, they're talking about their project and it ended up being a lot about their finances and I remember reading that article and just being like oh my god you know and we had a similar experience recently too where you know we had like an article and you know we thought it would be more about like the uh like the the music but we ended up talking a lot about our finances and you know that's what the reality is and but it's not terribly surprising that we're not making money yet you know it's it's not that easy and I think that's why it's just about you know how long can you stay in it like you know I've been working a lot this year on sort of um like my mental health and sort of you know seeing a therapist for a while and I've been trying to learn to be more okay with where I am instead of you know sort of kind of trying to you know it's like you're living in a you're living in this house and it's a little bit dilapidated and you know but you can't just make everything better at once right you know like you have to do one thing at a time like you have to maybe you mow the lawn one day or you know maybe you clean the bedroom another day or (laughs) you know maybe you do like the wall you paint the walls another day but you can't just do it all at once and so but that you know it's really important to be grateful to have that house and you know if you focus too much on like what you want how you want it to be different then it becomes real arduous to to keep living there. And so I've been spending a lot of time just kind of trying to appreciate where I am and just trying to have a longer kind of mindset uh, about, you know, where I want to be and what are the kind of the concrete steps of, you know, how I'm getting there. Um, Yeah. That is actually a pretty good segue to what I was going to ask you about next, which Mm -hmm. is your lyrics. Mm -hmm. Um, What... What kinds of things do you write about? What it, what uh, what really inspires you lyrically? Oh uh, yeah, so um, you know, for my solo stuff, I I obviously write about myself, but for the band, actually, the lyric writing is also largely collaborative too. Oh okay. Um, so I'm not the only one who writes the lyrics. Um, uh, by any means, Ben and Jess write a lot of them. Um, and I think. It's just largely about different experiences. I I mean, for me personally, writing is really therapeutic. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of my lyrics are about feelings that I've been trying to sort of 
organize or, um, you know, depending on where I am, it's just different. Like I, I've been feeling really empowered, um, you know, the last while um, or so, and I've noticed my lyrics are more sort of, you know, cathartic, but in like a more positive and empowered way as opposed to just more like kind of ruminated in depression the way they were, you know, several years back. And with the band and also in my solo writing, sometimes I'll write non-fictional stuff, whether it be inspired by a news story or, you know, something that starts as a writing exercise. But yeah, I think, you know, the lo- a, a, a way bigger part of all of our writing is just sort of, um, yeah, about our, our lives and what we're thinking about. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what is this new record about? My EP? Yeah. My EP is, uh, I think it's it's just about, well, I think the, the title is, is really accurate. It's called Growing Pains. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, so it's just something that I was feeling uh, about kind of last year and again you know part of it is what I was talking about earlier with sort of you know learning to sort of inhabit where I am with with a little more like being a little more comfortable and happy with you know where I am the working title for the album was called um ugly cry you know like you know people talk about Oh, I ugly cried when I watched this oh, okay. movie, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> it was just so cathartic it was just for me that, you know, that was the working title. And I actually recorded it in January uh, of this, this year. And I didn't listen to any of the music for about seven or eight months because we were busy with the bent knee stuff. And um, Vince had, Vince Welch, who produces my stuff and also bent knee he had the files and I didn't have access to them so I just it was just totally on the shelf and um I was getting ready to release it or I was you know considering releasing it for that matter and I went back and listened to it and you know by the time I was at the end of the the tracks like the tracks weren't even mixed there were parts where you know Vince wasn't done editing so like the strings would just cut out because the next take would start rolling in and but by the time I listened to all five songs I was I was really really uh distraught or or not distraught because that sounds negative but i was i was really bawling i was just crying Mm. i was listening to it by myself and um and i just thought that that was that was something important you know um i mean a lot of the material is really really close to me um i mean a lot of the stuff i'm not like particularly interested in elaborating on but it was also just difficult it's been difficult for me to place a value judgment on whether it's a good set of songs or not because they're so personal to me that I don't know what it sounds like to other people. Mm -hmm. But I've been sort of clinging to that gut feeling that, you know, that the music hit me so hard that it just really broke me down. And, um, and yeah, I've, I've sent it to some people, um, I've been getting really positive response, so I've just been trying to believe in that and put yeah. it put it out. You know, <laughs> just put it out there. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it sounds great. Thanks. I love it. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you track all that at the same time? Did the strings track it while you were? No, um, we did everything separately. Okay. So, including the piano and the the singing, which was the first time um, that I've done that. Uh, I tracked the piano first, and then I did some scratch vocals. So the string players came in later that day. And they tracked over what I 
the the piano and the scratch vocals. And then I went back and tracked the keeper vocals um, on a different day. Mm-hmm. But uh, the reason I wanted to do that is because recently I've been kind of wary of um, how I sing and I rely so much on being loud and wailing. And part of it is is also because of... Um, you know, you know, people talk about how you shouldn't read comments and feedback, but yeah. you do, you know, uh. and, uh, and uh, a lot of times like people's biggest qualm with my singing, it seems is that I am shouting all the time. And I don't necessarily think that's true, but I do think there is a point to it. And I've sort of come to realize that I have, I, I can do a lot without sort of singing at the top of my lungs. Mm-hmm. And that has been partially out of necessity because Bentley is so loud yeah. um, that you need a certain amount of volume to to cut over that, you know, no matter how much you have a microphone. And I also think that's one of the that's a that's a really difficult lesson to learn as a singer because if you play in a really active live band that's amplified and you go into the studio, there's sort of a disconnect between how you're used to singing the song versus how you want them to sound, yeah. you know? Um, but anyways, that's why I wanted to t- track the vocals differently for the CP because I know when I sing and play, I get kind of worked up uh, or, you know, or just because of the loudness of the piano itself that I tend to oversing. And I just wanted to try to remove as much of that as I can. Huh, and I just wanted okay. to be just you know as intimate as possible like i'm just kind of like you know muttering <laughs> i think I, i'm pretty happy with how it came out there, there's certainly parts where I'm it still, still sounds like you though yeah you definitely know? definitely I mean, yeah so. yeah but i think it's way more laid back compared to you know like what i've done in the past you know first album sure but even second album like you know bentney's shiny Eye babies mm-hmm. um and comparing how i sang on that to how I sang on my my upcoming solo EP and, you know, how I'm approaching singing now is, is very different. Um, and I certainly hope it will be different, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, that's but, true. Yeah. Well, you know, thing is, though, you, you have a very powerful voice. Nice. You know, I never, it's weird to, to say that you sound like you're shouting. I've never <laughs> felt like you were shouting. You just have a very strong chest voice. You have a very strong mix. Yeah. You know, and you have a very wide range. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I've always felt like you just had a, a really powerful voice. Yeah, yeah. You know? And um, I've always, I, I've never, I've, I, I'm happy with my singing, but for a long time, I didn't particularly like my voice. You know, I'm definitely a soprano, and you know, uh, I think this is this might be a thing for other female singers too. But there's not a lot of great role models in classic rock for for female singers, mm-hmm. and that might be a, a over over generalization and. So I'm just gonna walk that back and say I when I was growing up and listening to music, I didn't have a lot of great role models. You know, basically I was listening to all these men singing. Yeah. And you know, 
I just have this like kind of higher voice. And and that's why I also think sometimes people describe my voice as shrill. And I think that's actually a sexist comment because yeah. it's not shrill, it's just higher. Yeah. And it's because I'm a woman, you know? I don't I don't I can't sing that low. It's just how my, you know, physiology is. Mm-hmm. Um but but yeah, I've always the one thing I've always taken pride on is that I can sing very loud. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, the tone and like how I sing it is something that I've, uh, you know, learned to manage and make it something that I like more over time. But yeah, I've always had a very, very yeah. big and strong voice. Yeah. And so you didn't listen to Pat Benatar when you were playing? Mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's I, a high singer, you know. Yeah, I've been going through, um, NPR recently put out a list of a hundred sort of, you know, influential, influential albums that were made by women. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's yeah. such a cool list. Yeah. Um, and I've been sort of going through it and trying to learn more about, uh, you know, other other singing. You know, I you were talking about, uh, you were asking me earlier about what my lyrics are about. Um, and I was thinking about how, it's not necessarily about what the lyrics are, but I feel really inspired when I am to write, when I'm listening to other female singers. Like, uh, as of late, I've been really inspired by Chelsea Wolfe, um, and like Mitski and Japanese Breakfast, um, Laura Marling, uh, you know, I've, I've always been a real diehard fan of Fiona Apple Mm -hmm. but you know listening when I listen to their music sometimes I'm just you know I'm listening to them and I just have all these ideas flowing and um which which seems kind of kind of silly because I don't know if that's like great you know I don't know if I'm like really listening to the music but that's my favorite kind of music is is the kind that when I'm listening to it just really calls me to to write and want to create more Mm -hmm. yeah what about, uh, I was also kind of wondering about um, how you keep your voice healthy on your tours. Yeah, um, that's been kind of a learning process. Um, actually, I had to I had to um, rain check with you last week because I actually lost my voice on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, I haven't done that in a while, um, but what happened was I just got too excited. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, uh, I just got too excited and I just sang too loud. Um, for for this one show but uh i used to do a lot of different things and then uh i got this like tip from uh greg Pucciato, who's the uh singer for dillinger escape plan mm-hmm. uh when we toured with them last year and i was just like we were talking uh the first day uh of the tour and i was just like what do you do you know like you your set's way longer than you know all the openers and your your singing is way harder and how how do you maintain this and he was just saying uh he does three things he drinks a lot of water um and he takes ibuprofen and he chews gum uh so i've been doing those three things and it works pretty well um drinking a ton of water is a lot more helpful than drinking, you know, throat coat tea because what you don't realize is that, you know, they talk about throat coat, that's so great, but your larynx, you know, your voice box is in your trachea in your windpipe mm-hmm. and anything you're drinking or consuming is going down your esophagus which is your food pipe. So yeah. none of that is actually touching your vocal cords, mm-hmm. you know. Um Whereas, you know, hydration, because voice loss is basically just swelling. Um, your cord, your vocal cords swell. Mm-hmm. So you can help that by, you know, hydrating and um, like a, a 
a non-inflammatory, you know, um, what is it like painkiller or whatever, yeah, like ibuprofen, something yeah. like that is it, basically, yeah, yeah, um, is helping with the swelling and mm-hmm. then, um, chewing gum or anything, having anything in your mouth, what, you, what happens is when you swallow, every time you swallow, it's kind of like your, um, vocal cords are blinking almost. They sort of like kind of close and r- contract once. And so it kind of coats them with spit. Um, and you know, again, it helps with the hydration. So yeah. those are the three, three things I do when it gets really bad. I'll just stop talking. Um, that's helped a lot because, um, you know, it's not until very recently that we've even had any green rooms. And for a long time, when we were on tour, after I sing, I was doing way more damage by talking to people before and after the show than I was. Especially in a loud room. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a nightmare. And so um, when I'm on tour or this this summer while I was on tour, I just sort of I had to kind of make an executive decision for myself. And I was like. I can't sell merch. That's mm-hmm. that's just how it's gonna be. And uh, so after we'd finished playing, I would just I would just go away. Yeah. And um, you know, there's six of us, so you know, there's so many people that people like you know our listeners can still talk to. And yeah. you know, it was just kind of it was sort of hard for me because I feel like meeting people and you know working the merch booth and talking and making connections is such a big part of being on the road and I just kind of felt like copping out just you know sitting and being quiet and reading or whatever but yeah. it's just it's just kind of part of something that I had to learn to do mm-hmm. so. when you get sick does it really affect your singing voice or can you sing through it usually uh, I can sing through it I can I can uh I can lose my voice to a fair amount. Like I can lose my speaking voice and still sing. It's not really healthy, but yeah. um, at all. But it, it's it's hard. I think I think it's it's a learning process. I'm getting way better at it. Um, and I think every every singer just has to sort of. It's kind of a trial by fire, you know. Um, I found that um, I finally figured out what breath support means. You know, it's just kind of this like hot word, like this keyword that. Every vocal singer, I mean, vocal teacher will teach you, you know, breath support. But they don't really tell you, or at least I didn't feel like I was ever sort of told, here is something, a specific exercise that you can do to increase your breath support. Mm -hmm. And I just figured out, we were on tour with this uh, wonderful band called Thank You Scientist Mm, um, from New Jersey. I love them uh, to death. And they have a couple um, horn players uh, in their band and so when we were on tour and we would load in I noticed that they would always be warming up by doing long tones mm-hmm. and then I thought back to you know the time like the four or five months that I played clarinet and that was such a big part of what they were teaching us to just do long tones which means you just stay on one note and you just exhale and I started doing that for for singing warm-ups where I would just go ah you know as long as I could you know, through just kind of chromatically half step at a time going all the way up and down the scale. And it takes time and it's really exhausting. Mm -hmm. But that is a concrete exercise that you can do to increase your breast support, which basically what it does is you don't have to work as hard to get more sound out yeah um and yeah that's been really helpful with sort of uh, saving my voice too Mm -hmm. now when you were studying voice at berkeley Mm -hmm. um were you doing classical repertoire you were you doing more yeah yeah i was saying classical um i was i'm not um like a, a 
I was not a huge fan of the vocal department at that time.、Um, I don't know what it's like now, but、mm-hmm. um, I just felt like it was geared too much towards you know, nurturing the next Mariah Carey. And I don't have a heavy RMV voice.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I just couldn't find like, the right people to study with、um, to, to like, help. Myself develop, and you know, the way the proficiencies worked, you know, I just could never get an A because you know, I would go to these like proficiencies and they'd always just write two words more or three words more breath support,、mm. you know. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, I got so much better at singing this semester, but、yeah. you know, they're telling me this like mysterious thing that you know, I don't know. But, you know, that being said, I loved I loved all my、uh, private teachers. I studied with Kadis and Kai、mm-hmm. for two semesters,、um, and she really taught me,、um, I think, a really important lesson about、um, you can't just sing a song, you can't, you can't just like read the lyrics and sing, sing a song, you have to emote. And there was one lesson where I was singing an Oasis song,、um, and Caddison just kind of stopped me and she was like, What is this song about? You know, like, what are you trying to say? Because、like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, you just sound like you're just saying things. And that was a really incredible、uh, experience. I, I love her. And、uh, I studied with Catherine Wright, who's a、um, wonderful classical. You know, very much bel canto、um, mm-hmm. style. And so I got a crash course of sort of classical singing from her.、Um, and that was very useful to know what, what, it's, what it means to, you know, kind of、uh, lift your soft palate, whatever, you know, like the hot potato thing. And then I didn't take lessons for a while. And my last lesson I took was Lisa, Lisa Thorson,、mm. um, who's an incredible jazz singer. And,、uh, and I, I, I absolutely loved it.、Um, yeah. And, you know, I went into her just kind of saying, you know, like, I'm kind of confused. I don't feel like I'm in the right place in this vocal department. And,、mm-hmm. you know, she was one of the only teachers、uh, that was really taking notes. You know, she was taking notes for me every lesson.、Yeah. And、um, she was taking a, a much more measured, logical approach as opposed to. You know, an emotional approach. And I think that's a, that's a dangerous place to slip into when you're working as a singer or a voice teacher. And、mm-hmm. I feel that with myself too. You know, so much of learning how to sing or a singing lesson is about did you hit the right pitch? But for any other instrument, there's so many other criteria. Like,、yeah. you know, was the timbre correct? Was the rhythm correct? You know,、um, was it, and、uh, what was the other thing? I forget what it is, but all that stuff goes by the wayside, you、mm-hmm. know? And so she was taking a much more measured approach where she was, she was really going beyond just the pitch and talking about timbre and,、mm-hmm. you know, where are the weak notes, stuff like that.、Um, and yeah, I, I, I really got a lot out of working with her too. Well, and she's also really great at teaching you how to, to keep your voice healthy. You Absolutely. Because she's really, she's really smart. Yeah. 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 I, I, I still have some of the handouts she gave me, and I,、uh, I use them, you know, some of them for my own teaching too. Yeah. yeah. So, are you, you doing some voice teaching? Yeah, I've been doing some voice teaching.、Um, all of us in Bentney do a, a certain degree of teaching.、Um, ben and Chris, Chris Balmar, violin player, teach the most, I think, but all the other four of us all do, also do teaching. And, I teach piano too, but I really like teaching voice because it's kind of, I, I like working with、um, adult students 
because it's just all about you know telling them they can do it you know yeah <laughs> I, I i really do believe that everybody can sing and so i have a couple students who came to me and i found them because uh they had posted on like you know these like lesson websites just being like i don't feel like i can sing you know all my life i've been told that i can't sing and so i've loved working with them and sort of trying to to help them and it's just a lot about self-affirmation and you know being comfortable with sort of studying yourself and your own voice mm-hmm. and yeah yeah cool well yeah so uh i want to circle back to um your upcoming ep so because mm-hmm. this is i mean this is pretty stripped down you know just yeah. piano and strings yep. and and you do have some multi-tracked vocal stuff which yep. i assume is all you right yes yeah um, oh, except that at the very end of the album, that was the other string players. Oh, okay. So yeah. it wasn't because it sounded more like a choir. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were they were playing those parts. Uh, I originally wrote them for it to be played, and mm-hmm. then we were sitting around. It was the last thing we were doing that night, and we we're just like, I just asked them like, could you could you sing that? And they're like, yeah. And they all have wonderful voices. And yeah, all, you know, they all sing like regularly anyway. And so it was, it was really fun. <laughs> Why'd you decide to do all the songs kind of that way, just piano and? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question too. Um, so uh, I wrote those songs after I came back from um, the Delundra Escape Plan tour. For the most part, mm-hmm. two of them were a little bit older, but um, the that tour sort of it was a really eye-opening experience for me, where it was the first time for me seeing people who were really investing their lives into music, you know, like we've done a lot of indie touring um, up until that point, but we were playing with, you know, people's hobby bands or, you know, like um, no one had put as much into their bands as we had, you know, Mm. up until then. And I, and I just saw these people who were just incredible, um, and they're proud to be musicians, you know. I just had this chip on my shoulder for a really long time where I couldn't admit to being a musician. You know, when people ask me what I was doing, I would say something like, oh, I'm a music teacher. Or, you know, I yeah. just thought being a musician wasn't a legit thing, you know. It was sort of like a, it was like, it was like I was kind of not being part of society or, you know, a responsible person. And I, I kind of changed <laughs> my mind about that after yeah. that. I was like, wow, this is, this is really something, you know. Um, that I, I love doing and I want to go deeper. And so I wrote um, a couple of new songs after I came back and um, I did a residency in February um, on Martha's Vineyard where I just went and wrote music for two weeks. Uh, is incredible program called uh, the Turkey Land Co. Foundation. And uh, there's no application fee. I'm just saying this 
if there are any female listeners out there, I, I highly recommend it. You don't have to be a musician. It's just you can work on any project. You know, you can be like, I need time to myself when I want to develop a curriculum. You can apply. You know, I'm an author. You can apply. Whatever. But mm -hmm. anyways, I knew I was going to go to that and I was going to do a uh, more electronic and more involved album like my past solo albums have been. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to just crank out that EP before I had a, a new batch of music. Mm. Um, that's why that's why I did it with that five songs and um, and I was just focused on, you know, I was writing on my keyboard. Um, which is something I love to do and I hate to do. Like, it's easy for me, but the timbres don't really go anywhere because you just got a keyboard, you know, and it's yeah. just so easy to kind of, like, get locked into the same things that you do. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I wrote those five songs, and I just wanted to get them out of the way before I went and did something else. And that piano had a lot of character to it. Yeah, there's actually two pianos. Um, yeah. One's an upright and another is a grand. Um, okay. And I recorded at this place called A Big Nice Studio in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Um, and uh, it's a cool place. It's just one of those studios that just has a bunch of knickknacks around. Um, and uh, they have, they, I think they have like four or five different pianos. Mm -hmm. um, but it was funny because Brad, the guy who runs the studio, had just had them tuned. But the the space is a huge warehouse. It's it's tall, it's big, and you can't run the heat while you're playing because otherwise you get the yeah. fan noise. So it was this kind of constant battle between the room getting cold and the pianos going out of tune yeah. and then coming back into tune. So you know there are a couple <laughs> notes that are really out, but yeah. I've never been one who is like a stickler for clean tuned pianos like one of my favorite favorite albums of all time is uh the idler wheel is wiser than the turning blah 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 uh by fiona apple oh yeah and yeah. when you listen to that album like it's just all about the characters of the pianos she's playing and so this whole ep is really kind of my homage to that album mm. i just wanted to create something totally brutal and totally acoustic like that album yeah um, yeah and that's why yeah that's why the way it is the way it is and yeah yeah i i so happy i got that like uh almost like metallic glassy upright piano sound yeah you know when you compress the hammers you get that kind of like clang 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 sound. yeah <laughs> it's really great especially on the last track i think yeah yeah and i i always kind of like it if if the if it's not perfectly in tune yeah, yeah it's just you know especially if it's by itself you know yeah. if you're playing with if it's like layered in with other stuff it can be problematic yeah but yeah So this EP comes out when? It's coming out November 10th. Okay. Yeah. And it's going to be on iTunes and Spotify Yeah, it'll be out there. Um, I think I'm going to put out a single later this week. Um, and uh, and then it will just be everywhere. Um, I'm pressing um, physical copies, um, but I'm only pressing like four or 500. And uh, I'm working with a, a letterpress company in Rhode Island in Providence that's making the jacket. So uh, for those not familiar, letterpressing is like the old school printing where, you know, they're sort of 
essentially these these uh, carved metal stamps that get uh, inked and then pushed into the paper. So there's a little bit of an indent of you know the design when you run your fingers over. That's what the original design. Uh, the original packaging for Shiny Eye Babies was too. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. again, you know, I'm kind of going back to the thing where, you know, if I'm going to make physical copies, I want them to be special. You know, I just don't want them to be just like tokens that I exchange with people, you know. <laughs> for their music, I give you, you know, this plastic thing yes. that contains my, <laughs> contains my sounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then you're going to be doing a West Coast tour? Yeah, I'm really excited. It's the first time I'm uh, going on tour by myself. Um, I'm doing dates starting in Seattle, uh, some shows in on Victoria Island in Canada, which is off the west coast of Vancouver. Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm going down to like Eugene and I'm playing San Francisco and L.A., um, but it's going to be fun. I am actually uh, going out with my uh, college freshman year roommate, Liz, Liz Full. Uh, and so she's going to be doing her solo set and I'm going to be doing my solo set. So it's, you know, half uh, girls road trip slash half, you know, music tour. So I'm yeah. really, really excited about it. <laughs> Um, okay, so and then in terms of bent knee, what's what's the plan in terms of the next record and that sort of thing? Yeah, so um, we're working on a commission right now. We're uh, we're working. At, uh, we have a commission to write a piece uh, for us and um, percussion players, um, a group of percussion players. Uh, so it's an interesting challenge. Um, so we're working on that right now. You know, we're, we're trying to notate out the stuff that we want the percussion players to play. Um, and we'll be premiering that piece in a couple cities. I think we're doing uh, New York and a city, a few places in Europe, and then uh, also in Boston, too, at some point. Um, and that will be in the spring. So we're working on uh, writing that right now. Um, it's not necessarily our next recording, per se. We we haven't sort of figured that out yet because we don't know what the piece is yet. Um, but yeah, we're we're kind of deep in the writing for that right now. Is this a, an already existing percussion ensemble, and you're just collaborating with them? Kind of. Uh, we're we're we'll use different ensembles um, depending on where we go. Oh, like in, okay. Yeah, in New York, we'll work with, you know, this, the, like, one ensemble, and then, because it will be expensive to travel with everybody. Yeah. Um, so when we go oh, to, okay. to Europe, it will be a different group. But um, we're working with um, Sam Solomon, who uh, is in the percussion department at Boco, mm-hmm. uh, and he's kind of our liaison to the 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 percussion ensembles so he will be traveling with us so he can sort of you know uh talk about or you know sort of get them up to speed in terms of what you know the different ensembles have been doing in different cities and stuff like that um yeah so. okay okay so this is a purely live thing so far yeah so far yeah, yeah. um i mean we chris is really interested and in, chris comes from a classical background too and so he's interested in contemporary classical as is Ben um, and Jess, uh, you know, we've been listening to um, a lot of uh, like contemporary classical um, composers, living composers, especially in the car. Um, I don't know if you know about um, the Meet the Composer podcast. Um, hmm. Oh, yeah, I think I saw that. I've never really listened to it. But, yeah, it's yeah. really great. You know, that was kind of our gateway um, 
to people like, you know, Nico Muley or um, there's a wonderful composer in Boston called Ro- Robert um, Holmstein, who, uh, with mm-hmm. whom um, Ben has done collaborating, sort of collaborated on videos. And um, he also runs a really cool series called Times Two. Um, where he invites um, different sort of classical, contemporary classical ensembles to come and play. Um, I think it's a monthly series that him and another composer, I forget um, that person's name, but they host. Um, and yeah, so, you know, we've, we've been to a couple of those. And yeah, so it's, it's just a field we've been interested in, contemporary mm-hmm. classical, yeah. Well, yeah, so that, you know, to me, you you do have some avant-garde elements, mm-hmm. you know, and so I can really hear that. Early on, I I saw a lot of, like, music concrete type mm-hmm. of elements, too, you know, influences, you know, as well as industrial rock, you know. Yeah. Which, which of course is kind of what I really love. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But well, uh, I think it's a it's a hybrid of everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And every our band, I think there are a lot of bands that, uh, where it seems to me that sort of get together because they have a love for a certain music, you know. Like they they agree on like, oh, we love Radiohead, or you know, or like, oh, we love Explosions in the Sky, or whatever. But our band is just this completely not that where everyone is listening to something completely different mm-hmm. you know sometimes we'll be asked you know oh so what what's everyone been listening to in the van and the truth is that everyone has headphones on and is listening to their own thing um and uh, you know so and and but i think the the common thread amongst all of us is that we're interested in making music that sounds fresh and new um, and, you know, I studied, I was actually a dual major in college and I studied composition, classical mm. composition as well. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And, uh, Ben and Jess were also pretty involved with, um, uh, a lot of the improv classes in, at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've taken a lot of concepts or, you know, ideas from, uh, you know, classical, you know, um, We've done like a couple compositions using elements of serialism um, in different ways, and yeah. To me, you know, the 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 thing that I've always loved about about you guys is just how eclectic it yeah. is, you know. And you can hear all these different influences, and I wouldn't even know, you know. I mean, this this new record is is definitely has a has more. Prague influences than I've heard on some of your earlier stuff, but but besides that, you know, I would never, I I wouldn't even know how to classify you. Yeah, you know? neither do us. Like, it's and our- that's <laughs> and that's the kind of you know that those are the kind of uh, you know artists that I'm really drawn to. Anyway, yeah, you know? likewise, likewise. And so you know, I wish you continued success. Congratulations on this EP that's coming out and. Uh, um, I'm excited to, uh, hopefully I'll get to hear this, this thing you're doing with the percussion. Yeah. You're performing in Boston, certain, right? For a certain, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. And, uh, thank you for talking to me. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. So that's our show. Thanks a lot for listening. If you like what you heard, please support Courtney by buying her EP on Bandcamp. Also a bit of a shameless plug here. I am releasing an EP with my vocal group, Green Line Extension. That's X-Tension. And it'll be available on iTunes, Spotify, and all that stuff. It's going to be out this week. Please check it out. 
So we're going to go out on Moonstalker from Courtney Swain's upcoming EP, Growing Pains. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.